1: Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. Lord, it's so easy to rise up in pride, to be self-righteous, to be full of my plans, my concerns, my worries. Lord, tonight, would you let your grace abound in our hearts with humility, with humbleness. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your name. Amen. Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse one. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. What a difficult passage of Scripture. How do I begin to get my arms around this? Well, I'll give you the interpretation of this that I've heard all my life. And then we'll talk about what I think the Lord's wanting to say. All my life I have heard it said. Don't judge anybody. Don't rebuke them. Don't criticize them. Keep your mouth shut about what they're doing. Tolerance is the word. Leave it alone. Let everybody do whatever it is they want to do. And just love them. Respect them and love them and keep your mouth shut. It's all about relationships. So friendship evangelism comes along. And we say the way you win somebody to Christ is you become good friends with them. And then hopefully at some point they'll say, what is it that makes you different? I have not yet seen one person, one to Christ, by this process. Oh, I've seen people join churches by this process. But not converted, not changed, not transformed. And then, of course, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I have a plank so big in my eye I can never get it out. So obviously I have nothing to say to you. That's standard American theology. As long as I'm not hurting you, I'm not doing anything wrong. And so the teeth have been pulled right out of the gospel by the words of the gospel. And Where do we go then? How do we interpret this passage of scripture? What does it mean? Well, the first place we need to begin is recognizing that in verse 6 it says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. And that word in the Greek for sacred is hagios or holy. So do not give dogs what is holy. If you go to Jesus' day, it's clear that dogs are people who are unclean. So Jesus is asking me now to make a judgment about who is the dog. He just said, judge not that you be not judged. And then he's saying, now decide who the dogs are. So obviously there is a requirement on my part to evaluate the lives of other people and decide, are you a dog or not? Are you an unclean person or not? Well, that goes against everything in my What do you mean? I'm not going to call anybody a dog. But Jesus is saying, decide if it's a dog. And if it's a dog, don't throw your pearls to pigs. And don't give to dogs what is sacred. So in other words, I also have to decide who the pigs are. So how do I decide who the pigs are and who the dogs are and not judge anybody? So is this a conundrum that we should just close our Bibles and say, let's not look at that passage? There was a time in my life when I wanted to just cut out certain sections of Scripture and not deal with it because it was just too hard. And frankly, this is one of those passages where I've said, okay, I feel good, let's go quick. Let's skip this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's obvious, I don't want to identify anybody as a dog. I don't want to identify anybody as a pig. And yet Jesus is saying, don't give the dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls to the pigs. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the passage. Do not judge, Matthew the 7th chapter, verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. That word for judge, literally in the Greek, means to separate or to put asunder. Let's read it now with that understanding and see if it changes anything. Do not separate or you will be separated. For in the same way you separate from others, you will be separated. And with a measure of separation you use, it will be measured back to you. Well, now that opens some doors, doesn't it, for a little bit more understanding. In other words, he's saying, as you go about your life as a follower of mine, don't use what I've given you to separate yourself from other people. Don't cut people off. Don't condemn people and cut them off. Don't set yourself up as a magistrate and look down on them and say, I have nothing to do with you. I'm better than you are. Well, this works for me, but it is also uncomfortable for me. Because I still have to deal with verse 6 and 7 or verse 6, where it says, don't give dogs what is sacred. So I still have to deal with this issue that some people are dogs. And if I share with them the glorious gospel truth, they're going to tear me to pieces. And I have to deal with the reality that some folk are pigs. And that if I give to them the wonderful truths of perfection, of righteousness, of entire sanctification, they're going to turn and trample it. They're going to come against the word. How do I not separate and yet say to somebody, you're a dog, you're unclean, you're a pig, you're unwashed. I have to tell you, this goes against all of my pleasing nature. And how can I tell somebody the truth about their condition and not separate from them? Well, there is one way. And that is for me to speak the truth in love and let them do the separating. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a separating gospel. That if I will speak honestly the word of God into the hearts of others they will have to make a decision to either demonstrate their pig nature or repent and be converted and follow after Jesus Christ. But in the process of doing that, there is no call for me to be the separator. In other words, Jesus is saying, as I walk through this life as a follower of his, I'm not called to shove people away. I don't need to. They'll shove themselves away. That's painful for me. Many people who have been family with me, tonight if they saw me walking down the street, would cross the street and go to the other side. They don't want anything to do with me. They think I'm crazy. They think I've lost my mind because I've gone crazy following Jesus. They will pass the judgment and they will separate. But if my attitude becomes one of superiority that says, I know the truth and you're the pig, then I've really walked into disobedience with Jesus Christ. Now, there are a couple of other scriptures that will help us understand this. Look at the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter. We'll begin with verse 22. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. That's what I'm called to exhibit in my life by the power of the Spirit of God dwelling in me. Against such, there can be no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions. And desires, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. But then it starts with chapter 6. Now you realize when Paul wrote Galatians, he did not insert chapter and verses. So he didn't stop at the end of chapter 5 and say, that's the end of my thought." No, he carries that thought right into chapter 6 and says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. I think that's why he wrote verses 22 through 26 of chapter 5. In other words, he's calling us to walk in the Spirit. He's calling us to the fruit of the Spirit. He's calling us to have a gentle nature to have a patient nature, to have a kind heart, to be filled with goodness and faithfulness. He's calling us to be certain that our old nature has been crucified with its passions and its desires, so that we don't respond with bitterness and anger when someone deals with us in a way we think is unjust. The test of a Christian is how they respond to perceived injustice. And if I respond to that perceived injustice by trying to create separation, I have missed what Jesus has called us to. He's called us not to separate one from another. If we belong to Christ Jesus we have crucified this sinful nature with its passions and desires. So now our goal is to stay in step with the Spirit, not in step with our defensive nature that would rise up. Now from that posture, he's saying, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And my dad was always troublesome to me on this point. He would say, remember, when you point at somebody, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. You've heard that, haven't you? I think that's good theology. The task of restoring one who is caught in sin is not judgment, It's not saying, you always do that. It's not saying, why can't you get it right? It's not saying, aren't you ever going to learn? Like, I am the great learned one. The insinuation that I'm right and you're wrong is what Jesus is addressing as a Christian, I no longer have to defend my rightness. Jesus Christ is the defense of His righteousness, which He has brought into my heart and into my life. So now, when a person responds to me, or attacks me in a manner that is ungodly, that is, that is unjust... My response to them must not be, well, who do you think you are? who, Who made you God? Well, who made you God? As a Christian, I have given up the, quote, privilege, unquote, of becoming angry. Of becoming defensive. I've given up the right to be right. I now walk instead in humbleness. In the grace of humility before almighty God. And I speak to that brother or that sister. Who is in sin. With gentleness and humility. I don't fight with them. I let my yes be yes and my no be no. I clearly say this is what I understand the gospel to be. And and this is what God is calling you to do. And I'm calling you, while while I know I can be caught also, I'm calling you to repent and to turn back to Jesus. What you're doing is wrong. I don't want to separate from you over it, but it's wrong and it has to stop. When we come as brothers and sisters without superiority, without judging, the Holy Spirit has room to move in and begin to work. I have yet to see a sinner repent who was not confronted with his sin. Sinners are not saved by sugar. Sinners are saved by salt. But it has to be the salt of the Holy Spirit and of righteousness and not the salt of my arrogance and my self-righteousness. He says carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of christ if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself each one should test his own actions then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anybody else for each one should carry his own load Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up So when we come back to this passage of Scripture, if we say, oh, I always have a plank in my eye, therefore I can't deal with a speck in my brother's eye, we're not really speaking the Word of God. We're in modern day, pleasing nature. Soft on sin. So is it possible to go to a husband or to a wife, to a son, or to a daughter, and say, you know what? I love you with all my heart. But I see you doing this, and it scares me, because if you continue doing that, it will take you down the road to hell. There has to be a way for us to speak the truth to one another in love, as the scripture has said. But we've become so accustomed to interpreting this passage that everyone should leave everyone alone. That everything goes, that we have no standard that we have to lift up. And we've been deceived. Because bottom line, all of us like to be loved. And we think the way to be loved is to please everybody. Everybody. But finally, you have to come to a point in your life where you say, I'm not going to try to please anybody ever again except Jesus Christ. I am going to do all in my power to please Jesus Christ and him alone. And I'm going to let everything else fall where it will. I'm not going to cut anybody off. I'm not going to judge anybody. But I'm going to speak the truth in love. And I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be turned to the left or to the right. I'm going to seek after the face of Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to let it rest. And I'm going to go wherever that takes me. Now there's another passage of scripture that we need to look at. In James the fourth chapter. In James, the fourth chapter, the first verse, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's really an important question to ask. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. So this passage of Scripture in Matthew 7 that says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. Jesus is really speaking about don't separate yourself from another because they won't give you what you want. Don't separate yourself and cast aspersions on another because they refuse to cooperate with your scheme. The call of God is to be crucified with Christ, to be sold out, to no longer walk in sin before Him. To no longer walk in the way of the flesh, but to walk in the way of the Spirit of the living God. And that's a way of love and gentleness and mercy. It's a way of humility. It's not a way of asserting my rights. It's not a way of my being defensive for my cause. Pastor James is saying, this is what causes fights and quarrels. A husband wants what he wants. And the wife should respect him and submit. So he thinks. And the wife wants what she wants. So the husband wants and the wife wants and they disagree on what they want. And the fight is on. And each one claims they're hearing from God. Where do you go with that? Divorce court. There has to be a place where we give up our wants, where we give up being right, and we come into the presence of God, and we hear what Jesus says is right. So that my heart's desire then is not to be proven right. My heart's desire is that Jesus Christ be lifted up, that Jesus Christ be proven right. So then you really have to ask, Whose honor is it that I'm seeking? Is it my honor or is it the honor of Jesus Christ? It's the honor of the Lord that I desire. Well, let's push it a little bit. I go into the workplace and my boss doesn't give me the promotion that I think I deserve and gives me a poor rating on my evaluation. Oh, is there anything worse than a poor evaluation? This and you and you me. know it's unjust. This doesn't reflect my work. You know it's unjust. And so, what should you do? Well, file an appeal. And don't sign the evaluation. Don't sign the evaluation. Give them a piece of your mind. Tell them how right you are and how wrong they are. Tell them how much, how how grateful they should be to have someone like you working for them. The way of the Christian is to not in any manner be defensive for my rights, but to lay my rights down at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you are my right. The cross is my privilege. I give up my rights. And when I meet the boss, I bless them. I don't speak curses over them. I speak blessings over them. Because my assignment there is not to get money. My assignment is to save their soul. My assignment is to win them to Jesus Christ by the salty testimony of my humbleness and my willingness to be counted wrong if necessary. Now what if I lay my life down? Isn't that what the scripture calls me to do? To lay my life down for Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the scripture do I find any indication that I should rise up in defensiveness or self-righteousness and that I should prove that I'm better than you are. There is no place for guardedness in the kingdom of God. And children. How many times have you gotten in the car and wanted the window seat? How many times have you wanted the bigger cookie? How many times have you thought mom cheated you when she scooped the ice cream? How about every time from now on? automatically judging which is the biggest and quickly getting it to your brother or sister. How about every time getting in the car and saying, do you want the window seat? They'll say yes. Is it all right? Is it all right if you don't get your way? What about when you go to dad and ask him, daddy, can I have? And daddy says, no, not this time. And you say, thank you, Daddy, you're taking care of our family. Thank you, Daddy, you're, you're using the money wisely for our family. Now, wouldn't that be a change? Yes. 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 Mom and Dad, would you enjoy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And not a follower of our own heart. If it costs you nothing to follow Jesus Christ, then you're not a Christian. If you can have your own way, you cannot have Jesus. If you're always right, you're wrong. This is the truth of the gospel. I know, the gospel is supposed to mean all the goodies you get. No, the gospel is the wonderful cross that you get. The giving up of your life so that you can receive the life of Jesus Christ. You don't receive the life of Jesus Christ and hang on to your old life. And whether or not we're holding on to our old life is exhibited in our attitude when we don't get our way. You know, I've actually known families where where parents go to war against children, where children go to war against parents, where brothers and sisters go to war against each other. There's always a fight. There's always bitterness. There's always anger. You know, my mom and dad used to say something very simple, and it used to always make me mad. But today I know they're right. It takes two to fight. Did you know that? It takes two to fight. Well, how about if I'm the one that fights and you quit? No, it doesn't work that way. The call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for us to walk in humility before the Lord, and to not separate from other people out of self-righteousness, but to walk humbly before our God, serving one another in love, not setting up our own life, but setting up the life of Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor James gets right personal Verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. He's saying, you people who are members of my church are having an affair with somebody else. You're committing adultery. Well, who's he saying you're committing adultery with? Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? He's saying you're having an affair with the world. Stop having an affair with the world and have Jesus... The world is the one that says, have your way or hit the highway. The gospel of the world says, when the times get tough, the tough get going. The world says, if you want to win, try, try again. Never Never give up. The world says, where there's a will, there's a way. Jesus says there is a way that seems right to a man. And the end therein is death. He also says that there is a way of holiness. There is a way of the cross. There is a way of giving up our rights. There's a way of giving up our determined efforts to win, where we stop separating one from another. Because all of us have sold our hearts out to Jesus Christ. We no longer seek the things of this world. We seek the face of Jesus Christ. We no longer judge one another. Instead, we lift one another up. We encourage one another. And we speak the truth in love to one another. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Where is it that we most often have to resist the devil? In getting our way. Being right. Having other people do what we think they ought to do. Because after all, we know. And if they just do what we want them to do, everything would work out okay. If you don't believe it, just ask me. No, resist the devil. Resist the temptation to be so full of yourself that you demand that everybody line up with your desires. Instead, prefer one another ahead of yourself. Offer the biggest cookie to your brother or your sister. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a fight between the kids over trying to give the biggest cookie to the other one? Now that would be a pleasant change. Wouldn't it, big kids? Wouldn't that be awesome? Preferring one another ahead of ourselves. So that our concern is for others and not for ourselves. You know, I've not yet had to say to any of you, you know, I'm, I'm so concerned for you because you've given so much to everybody else. I see that you've just given too much. Would you please don't be concerned about others anymore? You're going to die if you keep being concerned about everybody else. I've never as a pastor had to say that to anybody in the church. Always it's been the opposite. Brother, would would you take a moment and consider the needs of your wife? Or sister, would you take a moment and consider the needs of your husband? That's the struggle. Oh, we look after ourselves very well, thank you very much. What a joy the walk in Jesus Christ would be in the fellowship of his people if they honestly preferred one another ahead of themselves. What an incredible transformation he would make in our hearts and in our lives. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Wow, does that sound like the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember the first words Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed, or how happy, how ecstatic are the poor in spirit. Poor meaning absolutely no ability to change their situation. No way to get their way. How happy, how ecstatic is the person who finally understands their real condition before God, and they're no longer struggling to be in charge. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are those who mourn. In other words, blessed are those who finally begin to weep over the pride of their heart and the wickedness of their spirit and the judgmentalness of their heart when we finally begin to see the damage we do to one another and to the heart of Jesus with our pride and our arrogance and our withholding and our separating, our guardedness, our carefully maintaining our fortresses, our carefully defending our well-thought-out ideas about how things should work, if we give those up, And we begin to weep over it. The Lord is saying, we'll be comforted. But see, when I want to be comforted, it's because I didn't get my way. And I should be comforted with a bowl of ice cream. Or I should be comforted with something to eat. Because things didn't go my way. So now I'm going to feel better if I eat something. So there's no inner discipline in the life. Everything is still about me and my way and what I want. Do you know the word of the Lord to us tonight is very plain. You're not going to get your way with Jesus. There's only one way and it's the way of the cross. And the cross is for dying. Dying. It's for giving up my rights. It's for giving up my desires. It's for giving up my guardedness and my defensiveness. And it's for saying, Jesus, what is it that you want here? What do you want in my marriage? What do you want in my family? What do you want on my job? I want what you want, Jesus. I only want what you want, Jesus. And I'm going to give all that I have to you now, Jesus. Even if I don't like the taste of it. My dad used to say to me, Ray, you need to learn how to eat humble pie. But he said, I have to tell you, it's an acquired taste. (laughs) And I would give him a smart reply back. Well, I haven't acquired that taste yet, dad. And he would humbly say, it takes some time to acquire the taste. It's time we acquired the taste of humble pie. And laid down our rights. And took up the cross of Jesus Christ. And followed after him. Almighty God, would you give to me a love. For the taste of humble pie.
2: Lord.
1: Lord, I give up my rights. I give up my defenses. And I ask that you would have your way in this fellowship. Lord, I ask that you would have your way in every family that has dared to come into your presence tonight. Lord, we did not come here casually. We came here knowing we would meet you. Lord, we've not been disappointed. You have spoken your word to our heart. And I thank you, Jesus. We receive your word with joy. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
3: sing all things I Made perfect in love, my prayer has prevailed. In this moment, I know the blood is applied. I am whiter than snow.
2: The blood
3: is applied.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. For the
3: presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy. to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy.